Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here today. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 again. Hopefully we're going to finish this today. Uh, if you look on your notes uh, that we had the same as last week, uh, on the outline on the very front page, there's, there's four basic parts. Is, is there's going to be the prayer, that, and the, the, the idea that Paul is talking about prayer, first of all, is he is correcting their doctrine. They're meeting together in these house churches, but they're, they're, they're teaching false doctrine. They're having speculation. They're talking about myths, endless genealogies. So there's no truth in it. It's just this endless cycle of debating and arguing, and people are drawing sides, and they're coming together to debate their positions, and they're ever learning. It's going to come up later. They're ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's no transformation. There's no spiritual growth. There's no fruit of the Spirit. There's just sides. They're breaking into debate groups. So Paul's going to bring them back to correct teaching. And the second point there is he's going to explain God's will to them on what God's will is. He's going to use Old Testament scriptures. He's going to use theological support on what's going on. And then he's going to say it agrees exactly with his ministry. And the idea, see, seems to be the word all is used and it seems to be that there's some kind of ex exclusive they're like it's either possibly just the jews the jews have taken over in a sense the church and they're continuing their jewish theology saying it's only for us and they're excluding the gentiles because paul makes a big deal in this in these verses about the gentiles and he says i'm telling the truth a teacher of the Gentiles. So it appears there's some kind of a division between the Gentiles and the Jews. And at this point, I'll, I'll suggest the Jews, especially when you see Alexander at the, in, in the book of Acts, the Jew wanted to get up and talk and address the audience. And Paul apparently wanted to get there instead of him. And they're going to be causing problems as far as keeping it exclusive. Or maybe wanting the Gentiles to join in the Jewish religion to become a Christian. Now, what's interesting, we're talking about this, and we're going to continue to talk about it on Tuesday night. This exact thing is taking place in church history where the Jews by the Gentiles have been excluded, and now the church is the Gentile church, and the Jews have to join the church, and there's no future for the nation, the physical nation of the Jews. And that, that's what we're talking about on Tuesday night. We're going to get into it more. Uh, the, the general term is called replacement theology. It's supersessionism, or it's a fulfillment theology. Uh, and there's some balance between that. And so as we go through this today, uh, we're going to re be reading some verses from the Old Testament that kind of give you insight into what's taking place. Those that would agree that, or would think that the church has totally replaced Israel, are going to have to take the Old Testament, and this is what they did in church history, and just reject the Old Testament in the sense that it's, it's outdated. It's, it's, it was promises, but those have all been set aside, and it's just the new covenant. And so if that's the case, then the Old Testament, all those promises and everything written in the Old Testament is really not part of the church age unless you allegorize it to make application and so can the old testament stand alone again i think it does i think it's the word of god i think it's word prophecies promises to israel to the jews uh, but i also think there's promises and prophecies of the future new covenant and I, I think you can do both at the same time again that's my position and of course theologically that comes down to a, a debate and endless arguments which leads to violence in the church and men raising their fists instead of raising them in holy hands in prayer and so that that's kind of where we're at but we'll look at that today because there is a, a correct answer for that but that is going to come up 
But what's interesting is that very debate that's happening in churches today, and it becomes even more and more prominent, as we say on Tuesday night, when you talk about Israel. If Israel was still like it was in the 1500s, 1600s, it's like, well, they're just a dispersed person or people. It's clearly there's nothing to that. Uh, But yet now Israel is back in the land. They're back in the news uh, and we're like, well, what's going on with, with Israel today? So all of a sudden, it becomes, you're going to have to make a choice. It's like, well, that's not really Israel. Or supernaturally, God has put them back on the map because he's in the process of fulfilling his promises. And so that tension, and again, Paul in Romans calls it a mystery. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. And even as we talk about it, it's like, well, what's going on? It's a mystery, and Paul's given us information. The Old Testament gives us, has given us information. But that's kind of what's taking place uh, right here. I'm going to read these verses so we can see them, and then I'm going to, we've already talked about in detail, I think, the first four verses. Chapter 2, 1 Timothy, verse 1. In the NIV, uh, which is a, a, does a good job, I've got the English Standard Version on the notes. I like that a little more, it's a little more clear, a little more word for word. Chapter 2, verse 1, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And so now this is, I think, correction. This is correction of doctrine. They're coming together as, as churches, the little house churches in Ephesus, and they have got bad doctrine, and so their prayers are not in line with God's word. They're going a, a, a mis, misdirection. And so he's correcting this. And again, he makes it clear for a peaceful and quiet life. So you've got a tranquil life. So you've got a peaceful environment. So you can grow as a Christian. You can mature. And you can go ahead and, and have continuous outreach. And once again, he's praying for the Gentile leadership. If, if we say that the issue right here is exclusiveness, that the Jewish group has somehow made this exclusive... First thing Paul says, and he says, first of all, I mean, this is a priority, that you pray, and you pray correctly with correct doctrine, and you pray for, and these are Gentile leaders, which, of course, is, if you're exclusive Jews, you've got some false concept here, this is radical, and that's not what they're doing, that's not what they're doing, they're trying to some kind of uh, take over, or some kind of superimpose their own ideas. Uh, Again, one of the issues through this as we as we look at this and we look at tuesday night study is the jews and the old testament scriptures are physical now again be careful that's that's the overriding concept physical it's a physical land it's a physical temple it's a physical genetic people the genetic seed of abraham so this is physical the opposite then because they reject the early church and throughout you know the 400s 500s uh, many of them began to reject the Old Testament as far as being literal because they th- considered it closed and they had to spiritualize it into New Testament theology. So they really, and that's one of the things, even it, it plagues us today in our churches because we're totally ignorant of the Old Testament because it's like it's been just, if it's even used, it's spiritualized to everything refers to Jesus Christ. Well, what is Jacob doing here? Well, it's a type of Christ. Well, what's Moses doing here? Oh, it's a type of Christ. What's happening with, it's like, it's a type of Christ. It's like, well, then why do we even need this when we actually got the Gospels? It's like, why even read this? You just got a bunch of shadows. And then they forget that it's actual history, that it's laid down with covenants and promises, including the Abrahamic covenant that says, 
It's not going to pass away. This is going to be fulfilled. And so this is a problem, that concept of a physical Israel for what we'll say the church, which is now spiritual. And this really goes stupid in our culture today because it's got to be spiritual, which right now you can replace that with emotional. We don't want physical. We want to be spiritual. Well, how do you know if it's spiritual? Well, if you feel it. Well, pump up the music, put on the strobe lights, and <laughs> I feel that. That's really spiritual. Well, that's, as, instead of physical, that's carnal. I mean, that's, you're completely missing the, the, the whole idea. So there is a spiritual reality, the spiritual bride of Christ, but does this spiritual justify taking the whole Old Testament, crossing it off and just finding allegories to make it spiritual? Does that cross off the physical land of Israel, the physical DNA of Abraham, and say, well, that, that can't take place. It's got to be spiritual. Well, then, here's your eschatology. When it all is over with, where do we go? Well, we live forever. Where? On some planet far, far away called heaven in a spiritual kingdom with spiritual bodies. Uh, and it's like, it's like what, what's that look like? God created, and he said it was good, the physical world. So you've got a earth, you've got time, you've got matter, you've got this entire place, and there is a spiritual side, but the spiritual doesn't nullify the temporal, the eternal. God is, he entered this as a man, and throughout the scriptures, the, the ideal is Jesus, it, it seems like he's planning on coming back in his resurrected body. Not just coming back on a rescue mission to get everybody that's just left over and take them back to heaven. It's like he, it seems like there's going to be a rebuilding. Now, this is controversial because if you just sell out to spiritual and if you're in a group that's just pumping the music with strobe lights, you, you have no concept. You can't even handle this. And then you're going to misinterpret this and now your church is lights and music and emotionalism and you're being overrun with postmodernism and so what's the truth well what do you feel and you're right you're right there with culture you're, you're going right down the drain with culture okay way off subject sorry about that but anyway paul is having trouble with the church in ephesus as they have bad doctrine and so they're praying incorrectly so he says that you pray that for the authorities and this would include nero nero was the leader at this time the emperor and all of his appointees, that you may have peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved. And now, verse 3, and we spent some time talking about this, this gets into God's will. He's overriding the false teaching, and he says, this is good and pleasing. Two words, good is kalos, meaning this is good, it's, it's something God desires, and pleasing or acceptable. These are, as we saw in the notes before, in fact, we'll flip there real quickly so we don't have to come back and do it again. Uh, look on page, yeah, page 5, uh, point 4. This is good and acceptable. There is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 exactly the greek out of the septuagint that matches that that was used in deuteronomy one two three four times in deuteronomy uh that matches in in the priestly language the sacrifice the offering was good and acceptable and so this if you're praying for your leaders that you may have a quiet and peaceful life that doesn't translate into your best life now that translates into a peaceful and quiet life so you don't have to worry about war and 
social turmoil that you can actually have, you know, church meetings where you teach and instruct and have outreach and bring people into the kingdom instead of just trying to survive the winter or survive the war. You pray for these Gentile leaders. And he says, this is good and acceptable, which means right here, this is your priestly act of service in the New Testament is you have come to Christ. Now you pray for your Gentile leaders. This is good and pleasing because Peter's going to call us priests. Paul's going Paul's to refer to it later. But it refers right here. This is good and pleasing. The sight of God our Savior is this desire in chapter verses 1 and 2 to pray for the leadership. This is what you should be doing. And the reason for that, it's going to be productive in creating an environment that can enhance Christianity. I'm going back to the NIV, chapter 2, verse 3. This is good and pleasing to God our Savior, who wants all men, and that word all is huge, because that's contrary to the exclusiveness of this Ephesus church. Whatever is taking place, I, like I said before, I'm putting it that the Jewish ideology has taken over. They're becoming a Jewish church made up of Gentiles who are converting to Judaism or something, and they're closing the door to all the nations. And so Paul's making a big deal right here. This is good and pleasing to God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants them delivered from this age, but also to be growing and coming to the knowledge of the truth something these guys are missing they've got myths genealogies uh they've got they they got a uh, speculation which is going to be huge but no truth if they have no truth you have no growth you have no growth you have no fruit of the spirit you're not being conformed into the image of jesus christ if you just got speculation and 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 myths, you're just you're just having endless debates that are powerless and that is a problem now, in verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men. If you look on the first page, this begins the third section. We've talked about the prayer. We've talked about God's will. And now, in verses 5 and 6, Paul is going to go back and grab theological support for this. And I'm going to break that down for you today. Who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God... And one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. So he says right here, it's singular. There's one God, and there is man. And this is all men. And there is one mediator between God and man. He's going to come through this mediator. This is going to simplify. There's one mediator, and that it says right here, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man. And then he drops a huge bomb right here. The man, Christ Jesus. And right there in the text, the human, the human, this one right here is also a human. He is the human, Jesus Christ. So this is pleasing to God our Savior who wants all men to be saved. For why? Because there's one God, there's one mediator between all men and that man is Jesus Christ. The idea here is because he's saying one, one, and all, there can't be two plans. There can't be two groups. They're everything, all man, is in the same position. Some are called Israel. There's a covenant with Israel. There's going to be now the church. And this is, again, we'll get into this more on third or Tuesday nights. But together, they're all in the same situation. They've all got to come to the same singular mediator. And so your exclusiveness of we're in, they're out, he said, there's no point to it. He's, he's breaking down. He, he's attacking 
their false teaching right here with, again, Old Testament scriptures. Now, if you can take and nullify the Old Testament, well, now it's a free-for-all. And you want to spiritualize the Old Testament, make it allegories? Well, you can create, what, well, watch the cult. You can create whatever you want to. For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, the human, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for, guess who? All men, not just your men, not just your group, but all men. And it says the testimony given at in its proper time. The word testimony is from the word martyr or the witness, which means he came and he did this work and what took place historically. This is what this means. Historically, when Jesus Christ came, died and was resurrected, gave himself, it was a testimony. It was a witness of this whole plan. You saw it. What happened right there? That was a testimony of this whole system. He died. He was buried. He was resurrected. He ascended to heaven. There's your proof. That means this one man is the mediator between the one God. Again, that's the great shalom, shalom over in, uh, in Deuteronomy. And mankind. Shema, I mean, sorry. Okay, now we're continuing right there. That's the doctrine. He continues. And for this purpose, now here's the last phase, verses 7 and 8. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and then he says it double, double, double-sided, I tell you the truth, I am not lying. He says it both ways, emphasizing, I'm a herald, I'm an apostle, and I'm telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the true faith, or truth and faith, to guess who, the, to all men. So again, that's contrary to what's going on. He says, you won't believe this, it's, it's hard for you to wrap your mind around it, I'm not lying, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not just a, a herald with pr- the proclamation. I'm just not an apostle sent on a mission. I am the teacher of the Gentiles. I'm just going to show up and drop the message. I'm going to stay there and instruct them step by step in the truth and in the faith so that they can, well, uh, I am not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. Verse 8. Now he says, going back to the very first verse, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. The problem was they have bad doctrine and their prayers are out of bounds. Their prayers maybe don't even exist. He says what you need when you get together, you need to pray for the Gentile leadership so you can have peaceful and quiet lives so you can pursue the truth. He goes through all the theological reasons, Old Testament verses, says in fact that's what my ministry is about. And so verse 8, and so when you get together, and he says everywhere, you can say universally, every church, everywhere in the world, but in context of this letter, again, you, you can judge and think for yourself, in the context, everywhere, he means in every place, in all of your house churches, wherever you're meeting for church services, I want men there to lift up holy hands in prayer. Uh, now, this is contrary to what was going on in verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1 they're meeting and they're not praying, but they're speculating, they're arguing, they're debating, and he wants them lifting up holy hands in prayer instead of what? Arguing and disputing. In other words, they're coming together and instead of praying with holy, holy hands means 
You're living a lifestyle. You're coming out of your life, having lived the life of Christ, coming together to strengthen each other, to hear the truth, to grow, and go back out in this peaceful and tranquil society that God has given you, that you can expand the gospel, but instead you're gathering together with your speculation, your myths, your endless genealogies, and you've got men that are arguing back and forth on which position. Well, you're all wrong. None of you are teaching the word of God. You're all wrong. And you're arguing and disputing, and right here there's no power. Now, the support for that at the very end, so you can see this, just so we don't miss this, on your notes, yeah, go to page 11 on your notes. And again, the point here is they're coming together and they're not, they're not using teaching or the truth to instruct the people, to empower the people. They're not growing in their faith, not growing in their understanding. And they understand they do have, they're not applying it correctly. They're debating, they're arguing, disputing. And so because they're arguing and disputing, uh, there's, there's turmoil, N- not in society, but within the church. Now, Three verses on page 11 that kind of give you an insight into this. What I'm saying is they've got bad doctrine, they're speculating, and so they're just, all they do is argue. They're debating. It's, it's, like, it's like theological debate. Now, there's a place for theological debates. In fact, uh, he's going to talk about unhealthy arguments, meaning there's, there's extreme. There is a place where you're going to have to talk about eschatology and iron things out, and thank God throughout church history we've had debates, we've had arguments, we've had controversial things that we've had to work our way through but because you are on the truth you're all reading the text of scripture and you're theologically hermeneutically work exegetically working way through the scriptures you arrive at a decision but if you close this and you just have different people's ideas everybody's got a different opinion and it's like there's no there's no like rule book it's just a matter of it's just endless speculation it's like we're we're never going nowhere well here it is first timothy chapter six verses three through five again this is the same book just the end of the book, the end of the chapter. He, Paul ends the book. He started the book this way. He ends the book. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, that'd be heresy, that'd be the word choices. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and once again, notice, they are available. Just like in Jude, the faith once for all entrusted to the saints. Well, right here, They've got a choice of teaching things that do not agree or different words or teaching the sound words that agree with the words of Jesus Christ. Well, how do you know what agrees with Jesus Christ? Well, you're going to have to have the material there. So right there, in, in 62 AD, contrary to many liberal, progressive Christian ideologies, they had available to them the teachings of Jesus Christ. Or what we would say in Jude, the faith once for all entrusted to the saints, or the apostolic doctrine. They were choosing in 62 AD to teach something different. It wasn't like they were, well, we're just kind of developing this and taking different ideas from, you know, China and from the Roman philosophers and, and, and oh, here's something from the barbarians, and just kind of create, oh, here's some Jewish stuff, and just building this thing we call Christianity. They had it. It was there in 62 AD which is radical for some seminaries. If anyone teaches a different doctrine that doesn't agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, here it is, he is puffed up and conceited. He understands nothing, meaning you do not understand that this is the truth that will set you free, and you just are entertaining people with this. So you may be able to explain your your theory, 
but you really don't understand anything that this is empty and vain and going nowhere and this is the power of god to transform lives well but i'm a teacher i can explain this well you can but you really don't understand the big picture that this is nothing and this is everything so you are puffed up with conceit you understand nothing he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which is exactly what they're being told not to do which produce envy dissension slander evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth imagining that godliness is a means to financial gain so in other words because you reject this now you're over here and if you are over here and you are content and you're entertained by this you have a depraved mind meaning a person that is seeking god that is is called by god that has the spirit of god within them that has heard the truth and they get over here and i've been there and i've gone it's like all of a sudden you realize uh, this doesn't seem right and it's like i don't like this and you re- you retreat back to the truth you're always getting drawn into this but people with he says a depraved mind meaning you're not saved you're not born again you're not walking through it's like you get here it's like yeah this is what i want i want more garbage and again it's just false teaching and it says right there with a depraved mind and are deprived of the truth if you had truth and you got here you'd be like oh no this isn't right it may take you a couple weeks it may take you a few years but eventually you'd be like this isn't right and you'd return to the truth because you knew the truth and why did you stay there you're depraved you're deprived of the truth and you think this that godliness is a means to gain it's like if i stay here i can manipulate this and have my best life now it's right there okay second timothy the second time he writes timothy in ephesus chapter 2 verse 14 through 18 he says remind them of these things and charge them before god not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers now again i don't think he's talking about studying the scriptures and debating the scriptures and exegeting through scriptures they're arguing about words and taking things off track it does it ruins the hearers do your best to present yourself to god as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth but avoid irreverent babble over here this myths endless genealogy speculation timothy when they start babbling walk away just come back teach the word for word just teach the apostolic doctrine avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness truth will lead you to godliness and you can can test it yourself you can test it yourself if you are hearing the word of god if you're understanding the word of god you should be producing in your life conviction correction spiritual growth the fruit of this you should be going this way it's not like you're now sinless it's like one you realize, uh-oh, I've got some things to change. I've got some things to confess. I need to fix some things. I need to grow in Christ. So it will lead to God. It's not like you hear this, all of a sudden it's like magically, oh, I'm godly. No, you are not godly. You hear the truth, the first thing you realize is like, uh-oh, and now you're convicted. And you begin to make the changes. You have the stepladder of truth to grow in faith. But if you're hearing junk, you'll notice your life getting more and more ungodly if you even got that perception you're gonna have to change the term of ungodliness to you know tolerance or something so you feel good about it 
But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus, we've already mentioned him, and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. So there, there's that false teaching there. They're in, they've already assumed they're already complete. We've talked about that before. They are upsetting the faith of some. And 2 Timothy 3, verses 5 through 7, having an appearance of godliness over here, probably in this group would be some form of standard, some kind of legalism if you do these, these things. It's going to appear to be godly, but it's going to deny its power. It, it, you've got to meet these rules. Over here, it's got the power to transform you, and you will become godly. Here, it's got no power. We only can give you rules. You've got to do these things, denying its power to change you. You just got to toughen up and just pull yourself through. Having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households, and households here again is those house churches, and capture, we got to get here, weak women burdened with sins and lead astray, led astray by various passions. And Paul's going to talk about this. We'll talk about this next week. All, and watch it. Here's the kicker. Always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. In this group, you're always learning. Here's more information. Here's more worthless information. And you're all, but you never come to a knowledge of the truth that can transform your life. But look, here's more information. You're ever learning because it's, it's speculation. Okay. With that being said, let's do this. Let's go to page, oh, page three. It says right there in the English Standard Version, page three, chapter two, verse two. You've got to pray for kings and all in our high positions that we, we may lead peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And again, we've, we've talked about that. That's just ideal of having a, a controlled government, a controlled culture that you can now live godly in, in a dignified, recognized... Again, your life should be recognized as godly by everyone. You're living in a way that is above standard, and even the pagans will be like, well, these are good people. Um, point, yeah, bottom of page four, dignified means seriousness, and is used to say dignity, honor, and gravity. Uh, page five at the top. Here, we, we've looked at this already today. This is good and pleasing the sight of God our Savior. And there you've got point four, all those references that that's copied right out of the Septuagint. Word for word, letter for letter, right out of Deuteronomy of the Septuagint, talking about the priestly service. Meaning if you'll do this, this is your priestly act of service. And again, a lot of words on that at the bottom of page five on the word pleasing, which means acceptable. Uh, and here in these verses, I point A, Prayer is what is the sacrifice. You're praying like this. This is now good and acceptable in the sight of God who's appointed you to be a priest in his kingdom. Uh, Romans 5.16.C, I've showed you this before, but it's worth looking at again. 15.16 of Romans 15. It says, The grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable sanctified by the holy spirit so paul in, in romans is identifying himself as as an apostle but as an apostle in the church he's got a priestly service and what's the priestly service that's good and acceptable to god 
is the conversion of the Gentiles. Every time he brings a Gentile in, it's a sacrifice to God. Again, we're not slaying the Gentiles, but you can see the sacrifice that he's being brought. It's no longer in the temple. It's taking the truth to the Gentiles. Now we've got prayer and the conversion of the Gentiles as being pleasing and acceptable. Philippians 4.18, top of page 6. I have received full payment. This is talking about acceptable, pleasing uh, the gifts that the Philippians send to Paul while he's in prison. And 1 Peter 2, 5, you yourselves, talking Peter writing, you yourselves to the Christians, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now there's that word spiritual, which means you do, not, in this context there, you do not have a Levitical priesthood in the church. You don't have, it's not genealogical or DNA. You don't have a building, a temple that you go to, but you do have a ministry. But this ministry is not tangible. You are praying for your leadership. You're sharing the gospel and converting and teaching the Gentiles. You hear are yourselves are being built together you're growing together as a church as a body so that you can be a spiritual house it's like where, where's this building at it's 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 the people their attitudes and they're growing and they're functioning serving god and so there's that now does that and again the question is going to be and we're not going to answer today but does that now nullify israel and the temporal or the physical land the physical rebuilding of the temple the physical dna of the people again that's that's a serious question um, now, chapter 2, verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? I've got this right here. The first thing I've got uh, is a, a set of scripture, and I've got this on the second page right here. Uh, this is, see if I can pull this off here. Uh, this is the verses broken down right here. Number one, correct prayer based on corrected doctrine. Point two, chapter 2, verse 2, intended outcome and purpose, you know, with tranquil life. Based on the Old Testament priestly ministry, God's purpose is revealed in the Old Testament promises. And here's just a ton of verses, right? Here we go. I'll read through them. The ideal of the Gentiles. Paul is defending his approach to the Gentiles. Again, he's pushing to the Gentile ministry. It's interesting this is in Ephesus, a Gentile city. Why is he trying to argue with them? that we should reach the Gentiles. That, is that not just interesting, that they're in a Gentile city, and we would think the problem would be the temple of Artemis. But it seems to be the issue of there's some kind of closed, exclusive group of Christians that are closing it down just to themselves or just to Jews or some kind of conversion to Judaism. And so Paul is trying to push this to the Gentiles in a Gentile city, which, again, it seems to be accurate, but nonetheless, here's verses, Romans chapter 3, verse 29 through 30. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? And that's that ideal of one God, one mediator, all people. Yes, Gentiles also since, right here, since God is one. And the idea there is since there's only one God, one creator, there's only one plan of salvation. That's, that's the concept. Well, can he have a plan? It's like, well, no, he's, there's one God, there's one sin problem, there's one man, and so there's only one way of salvation. So the Gentiles have to come the same way the Jews have to come, which is by faith through the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. Who will justify, he says, the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. Romans 11, 
12 and 25. Now, if the trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure, the Jews, means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean, lest you be wise in your own sight? I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. We'll pick that up on Tuesday nights. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. It begins way back here. Genesis 12, the calling of Abraham. He tells Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And here it is. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Notice the word all, just like we see Paul using all in 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Psalm twenty two twenty seven. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the, family, and the, and all the na- families of the nations shall worship before you. So even, even in Psalms, all the earth is, and all the families, all the nations are going to come and worship God. Isaiah 42, 4. He will not grow faint, talking about God, or he will not be discouraged. He's not going to give up. Till he has established justice in the earth, and notice, the coastlands wait for his law, meaning the distance islands are waiting for his law. Now, right away you think they're waiting for the law of Moses. Well, okay, that would be their understanding of it, but they're waiting for his word, his ways to come. And even the law of Moses, it's projecting, pointing towards Jesus Christ. So the nations, the coastlands are waiting for, we would say, the gospel, even in the book of Psalms. Isaiah 42, uh, Isaiah 49 I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Uh, you can read Isaiah 0.7, that's long. Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 4. Underlined, I've got, the, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising, which is interesting. Paul's talking about praying for kings and the promise of the Old Testament is these kings that you're praying for are eventually going to come to the light. Now we're, we're in this, this process. And so again, we see things getting dark and kings rebelling against God and all these issues throughout history. But the idea is God is moving it this way until eventually the kings of the earth will come and worship God. And, and we're part of that process. Jeremiah 16. To you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth. Here's an interesting. They, they say, here's what the Gentiles say. They'll eventually say this. Talking about this area right over here, this, this un, you know, the, the, the garbage. They say, our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. Can ma- man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. Therefore, behold, I will make them know this once. I will make them know my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. Only thing the Gentiles have without God is just this endless philosophy, endless debates. It's no truth. But I, God says, am going to bring them over here, and they will understand this. And then we've gone through these verses on Tuesday night. Zechariah 2.11, Many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, From the rising of the sun to the setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered into my house, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So right there, as they're closing down the Old Testament, if it be, uh, uh, he, uh, yeah, Haggai, uh, Habakkuk, Ze- uh, Zechariah, Malachi. All those promises are Israel is going to be restored. And the reason they're going to be restored is where all the nations are going to come. We're, we've got to get Israel back and all the nations are going to come. And that's, that's how the book ends. And we can see that throughout uh, those books right there. So that's, again, on page six, we've got a bunch of those references that God's desires for the nations to come.
uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Here we've read this, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. There's all the notes that I, I pointed that out. It's the ideal that there is, there is only one, one, one singular God, one singular man as far as mankind. There's not like this group of man that fell in the garden and there's the other Neanderthal group over here somewhere. All men are in sin and there's one mediator. It's all singular. Uh, this is good right here. Point four. This verse begins with the source of that salvation that comes from one single person, God. This makes the source of salvation very narrow. There is no room for speculation. There is no need for myths or interpretation of endless genealogies. This message is going to be very singular to a targeted audience. So it's like, here, here's the, the idea right there. In this concept of endless speculation and myths, there is one God... There is one mediator, and there's mankind. And mankind is singularly under sin. So, God sends Jesus to pay for the sins of mankind, and through Jesus, man can come to God. Where's the spe- what are you speculating? I mean, what, it's, like, that, that, that's so, it's like simple. That's the idea is that there's no room for speculation. But if you don't like this and you want more attention... You can start taking all kinds of charts, you know, here, over to here, down to here, then over to here, and then this branches off into this over here, and this is that, this is here, this is here, and this comes back to here, but you want to be right here, and this is the only group, and this is us right here. It's like, wow, that's deep teaching. Yeah, that's stupid teaching. There's nothing there. It's one God, one mediator for man, and that means all men. There's no division. Now, again, God is dealing with Israel. God is building the church. How do those come together? There's, you know, that's, that's ecclesiology. We'll talk about that. Uh, so that's page seven, page eight. Uh, yeah, that, comes, that God is one comes right out of the Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema. You know, God is one. The Lord our God is one. And the point being, since there is one God, one salvation, one creator, then all creation has access to that salvation. Since God created all, and the God-created way of salvation, all of creation has access to that same salvation. Uh, Now, verse 6. Paul now moves into the apostolic doctrine. So what we've looked at, the prayer is correcting the doctrine. First thing, correct doctrine in your prayer. The outcome is tranquil lives. You've got a priestly ministry to do this. The purpose is because God wants all the Gentiles to come, and the Old Testament promises are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises. This is the fulfillment. Then we're going to have the gospel event and the apostolic ministry. So right here, in this verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6, the gospel event now describes Jesus, the mediator, who gave himself as a ransom for all. This one mediator eventually shows up. And that's where it comes in when it says the word testimony or martyrios or the ideal of martyr witness is there well i said that already that was a historical event it it happened so we now have witnesses we can see this with our eyes this spiritual promise the spiritual truth happened physically on earth on a cross in a human body in a grave resurrected on the mount of olives and ascended into heaven with the promise i'll be back so this now this he gave himself, this is what this means, who gave himself as a ransom for all, again, notice the word all, no debate, not exclusive, all, which is the testimony given at its proper time. This happened. 
That, I mean, it's done. It's like, well, there's no proof. It's, it, yes, there it is. It is a historical event. And so that's, what, that's the idea of what it means at all times. Uh, point three, very quickly, because I want to keep moving. Uh, the mediator, the human Jesus Christ, again, two examples of this. Uh, Numbers 24, verse 17 especially. This is Balaam, the Gentile prophet, prophesying to the Gentile nation, saying a star will come out of Jacob, he'll be a deliverer, and he'll crush the rebels' heads that don't agree with him. That's, that's out of Numbers chapter 24. And Isaiah 19, another verse of this, is uh, in Egypt, Yahweh is going to send, there's going to be in Egypt, an altar will be built in Egypt for Yahweh, and Yahweh will send a deliverer, a savior, for the people of Egypt. It's like, well, how's that going to happen? In the context right here, that's all men. There's going to be an altar in Egypt, and there's going to be the Lord is going to come as the rescuer. There's going to be an altar. It talks about in Malachi, incense will be offered in all the coastland, all the coastland cities. Incense will be altered, offered to the Lord. Well, these things are taking place as the gospel is being taken to the Gentiles, and we're still in the process of this kingdom advancing. So there it is. Uh, he gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at its proper time, which again aligns up with the Old Testament. Uh, chapter 2 verse 7 now here's a great verse as we wrap this up we got chapter 2 and 7 chapter 2 verse 8 for this reason for what reason for this going to the gentiles all the nations for this reason paul says i was appointed an apostle i was appointed excuse me first he says a herald i was appointed a herald i was appointed an apostle and then he stops and kind of like, listen, I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. A teacher, you're not going to, your, your little house church is not going to be able to handle this because if you get this elitism going on. But I was appointed to be a teacher, I'm not lying, to Gentiles. So if, again, who started the church of Ephesus? Paul. So Paul is the starter. Timothy's been sent with Paul's authority to reestablish the truth in the Ephesian church. They've come to Christ through Paul's ministry, and now they've got leaders. And Paul prophesied it in Acts. He says, when I leave, elders will arise among you and mislead you. Well, it's happened. And now he says, listen, the reason I came the first time, he said, I'm not lying, I'm telling you the truth. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles. All I'm doing is exactly what I was called to do. I've got a message, Harold, we'll look at these definitions right here, Harold, you can see the definition there. Oh, oh yeah, preacher. Point two, preacher means K in the Greek, it's K-E-R-U-X, so kerux. It means in the, in the context, in, in, in that culture, a medium of public communication. It's a public service announcement. Uh, they would be a herald. Uh, there was also heralds for the uh, Temple of Artemis called herio-kerux, meaning they were uh, 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 sacred heralds they'd come with a special message so you could have a herald coming from the roman government you could have a herald a holy herald a sacred herald coming from the temple of artemis well paul says i am a herald with a message I'm, i've got a public broadcast announcement from heaven i'm a herald and then an apostle you know the word he always identifies himself as an apostle that means one that is sent he was sent by god with a mission and then the kicker of his whole thing you go with a message you can be sent and now, he says, I'm telling you the truth. I'm a teacher 
of the, I'm going to now instruct them. I'm not just going to give them the announcement, but I'm going to establish a system for them to grow and learn. In the, there's one thing to hear the announcement, Jesus Christ has died for the sins of the world. But it's another thing to then, well, he says it right here. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So he's teaching the Gentiles these two things, teacher, and he's teaching one faith, and that comes about in truth. So as he begins to teach, they've already heard the announcement. That's the herald, that's the apostle. He's established the system. Now he's going to now, the faith, that is the belief, the trust. This is going to be the power base. And that power base is going to be rooted in the truth. Once again, a stab at the false teaching. The false teachers are not teaching truth. They're teaching speculation, endless genealogies, myths. Uh, they're, they're trying to gain people to follow them because they figure more I get, the, there's a means to financial gain here. But they're not teaching the truth, which means they have no faith. And if they do have faith, it's faith in a lie. But faith in the truth is going to give you power. And number one power is going to be this right here, godliness. The key to this whole ideal of hearing the gospel, of learning the truth, your life being transformed is godliness. Your life is going to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. You're going to change uh, as an individual. God is going to transform you into his image, like, like you were intended to be. But if you are not teaching truth, there's no faith. It's a lie. There's no power. So what you're going to have to do, you can't... The, Hopefully, the, the Spirit of God, the Word of God is transforming your life. I mean, you're being serious, you're learning, you're following God, you're listening to the Spirit, you're being obedient, uh, you're confessing your sins, growing when you're convicted, but it's something that's happening to you. If you got a, no truth, your faith is in a lie, so there's no power, you're not producing godliness, you're going to have to replace godliness with what? Some kind of legalism. Some kind of rules. This, this this these are things and we got to try to imitate godliness so since i'm not teaching anything worthy of learning here i'm just going to give you a list of some rules and this is how we'll evaluate you if you do this and you wear that and go here don't do that it's like now now you look godly so you ever look godly and it's like there's no power that's not the, that's not the message again it's amazing here I, I like this i am not lying and i think in the context there i am not lying i'm telling you the truth it could apply to all three, herald, apostle, teacher. It could apply to the first two, apostle, herald. But because he says herald, apostle, and then before he drops the next one, he says, I'm not lying, I'm telling you the truth. I'm actually going to continue to teach the Gentiles. They're like, oh. it's like it's one thing to tell the Gentiles and turn, back, turn your back. Well, I told them. But he said, I'm going to stay and teach them and help them grow in the faith that they've accepted. That is a, a radical thought. Chapter 2, verse 8. All of this being said now. Chapter 2, verse 8. Because we started talking about prayer. And he says, the first thing, beginning correction, Timothy the first. Uh, tell them to pray. Tell them to pray for their leaders. Their Gentile leaders. Tell them to pray for the Gentile leaders. And then he gives you all these reasons. You see right here. Correct, correct prayer based on correct doctrine. The outcome the purpose of prayer is a tranquil life. And then you can do your priestly ministry, which is praying and then serving the Gentiles, reaching the gospel. He used the Old Testament for the purpose. He then uses 
the fulfillment of Jesus as evidence. Jesus came in fulfillment of the promises. There's your witness. And now, that, oh, that's the gospel event. And then the apostolic ministry he says, that's exactly what I'm doing. And now he swings right back here. Now he comes back. And after focusing on the truth and prayer and faith, uh, he now says this right here. Watch this. Here's what he, here's what, no, it seems like way off subject, but it's not. Here's what he's dealing with. Here's what Timothy is walking into. Chapter 2, verse 8. So my desire, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So his goal is that you'll be able to walk in and teach the truth, and then we'll become godly and, and live a holy life and come together, lift up holy hands. And again, this is not a legalistic statement. The, the hands indicated a blessing, like the priest would give blessings with hands. Jesus lifted up his hands and blessing for when it, it, it indicates an active prayer life. It, it, it's passing on blessing. It doesn't mean I want you to stand straight, face the east, raise your hands in prayer, and give you this list of rituals so you all feel godly. It's a statement. Lift up holy hands. You're, you're blessing God. And the idea there is in holy. Holy hands in prayer, meaning you're coming out of this lifestyle that's been growing the truth, living godly. Now you're going to come together and having all lived holy lives, not that you're sinless, but you're growing in godliness. You're going to lift up your holy hands, focus with your prayer life, is focused, and you're going to pray, but you're not going to have these two things, which appear to be a problem, anger and quarreling so instead of what they're coming to together they've got anger we can assume oh boy quarreling q u uh q u oh, there's an a okay see quarrel I'll, I'll just quote with quarrel okay anger and quarreling these two words mean this very quickly uh desire page 11 anger it, it means wrath Quarreling, it disputes or arguments. This is uh, a word that is used in judicial courts. Like if you're, if you're quarreling, you're debating who's going to win the case. So it appears that when the men come together, instead of having holy hands, a lifestyle of holiness, and lifting holy hands and praying, doing this priestly service of praying for the leadership of the, the government and of their community so they can have tranquil lives, they're coming together, not interested in expanding the kingdom of God, but coming together without lifting their hands in holy prayer, they're coming together to quarrel. They're building their case. This is why my doctrine and my myths, my endless genealogies are true, and they're having judicial debates in church, and they're getting angry, and instead of lifting up holy hands in prayer, they got fists of rage coming together, and now they're, they're breaking apart, arguing, and people are joining this group, people are joining this group, and we're going to see in here, within this, Eventually, the women are going to come into this, and the women are going to have to decide who, which side you're going to go with. And so they've got groups that are breaking apart. And so there's no growth. There's just divisions here because they're over here teaching false doctrine. There's no growth. There's no truth. There's just endless debates because they're, they're never... We can have... Again, now be careful. If this is the Word of God, the Scriptures are the Word of God, and then we read this, and I, well, I think this is saying this, and someone reads I think it's just saying this. It's like... Well, it, 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 one of them's true. It means this, this text of Scripture means this truth. And we all want that meaning of truth. Does that make sense, what I was just saying right there? It's like, I may read this and have this interpretation. You may read it and have that interpretation. Someone else may have that interpretation. It's like, well, somebody, something's true. It's like, well, it's, it's just endless. It, no one really, it doesn't really mean anything. Everyone's got their own opinion. It, it's postmodernism. It, it finds your own truth. 
No, the writer of this text of Scripture meant this. And understand, listen, I, I want to be a Bible teacher, but I have enough common sense to realize, and I've had many experiences where I read something, and go, oh, I think that probably means this. And then I start reading commentaries. No, I, I'll read something. Oh, I'm ready to teach this. Bad, I better read the commentaries. And read the commentaries. It's like, oh my gosh, I was way off. Oh my gosh. And they build their case and read no. It's like they all agree. It's like, well, man, I'm glad I didn't have Bible study. I'd get up here, believe me, I would get up here and start talking and drawing and say, wow, that was really good. And then I'd read a commentary like, no, that's not even close. I mean, it, it, because it's like, I need, I can have an opinion, but I'm going to need someone to contradict it and, and say, well, here, have you considered this? Because that is part of study it's like as iron sharpens iron so we're not talking we're not talking about coming together and having a bible study and examining the scripture and then being corrected or me correcting someone or me being like someone having two different i don't agree with that well, they don't agree with me well it's, we it, maybe it's a non-essential we just go our way and we'll just wait maybe later we'll figure something else out that is bible study we're talking about talking about things that are not even the text of Scripture. We're talking about myths in the book of 1 Timothy. We're talking about speculation. We're talking about having here the Word of God. But you know what? Let's talk about aliens. And let's talk, you know, let's talk about, and let's talk about, it's like, yeah. And I think, and it's like, yeah. And the crowd grows and grows. And then it's like, then we got videotape of whatever aliens or whatever you're talking. It's like, yeah, this is a great. And, and it's like, wow, look how many people are here. It's like, well, now, but we're going to go back. We're going to start teaching the word of God. It's like, and then watch people drift away. It's like, so there's a place of, of having the word of God and having discussions and debates on the word of God. But there's also a place of just endless you have no truth. You don't know what's going on. And you just start making things up. Well, that ends that idea right there. Um, I got time here. Oh, look at that. I'm right on time almost. <laughs> it, they, they were, the idea here is they were in speculation and false teaching in their local house churches throughout Ephesus. It was leading to people grouping up, having arguments and debates, even like legal settings in the sense of a church. And, and people were, there's no growth. And Timothy's job unbelievable he's got to go into it's not just one church it's not just sending out a memo it's not just taking over the the, the become the president of the university he's got all these churches meeting in houses and all these leaders have come up and have started teaching speculation and timothy's got to go in and somehow with paul's authority shut that stuff down and get people back on track and you can imagine these guys are not like you know weak people these guys are leaders in the community some of them are wealthy businessmen and timothy's got to come in and make corrections uh i think that's probably why he gets second timothy even there paul tells him he says i remember your tears i long to see you because Timothy's probably gonna go this ain't working paul i mean it's not like timothy just shows up and go oh thank god timothy's here it's kind of like these guys are like timothy they're they're gonna have he's gonna have a hard hard time i would think doing it anyway i'll quit with that uh that's chapter two verses one through eight finally and now, next week, you don't want to miss it, that is where we talk about women being quiet in the church. And uh, that's going to be pretty easy skating right there. It's going to be pretty obvious right there. And so we'll probably just <laughs> skim right through that. Just uh, It's pretty obvious, pretty bold, pretty simple. And most of the problems we can find in the world today come right back to that very issue of not applying. It's like, ah, oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Everybody's laughing now. It's like, whoa. You don't know what to know. Okay, I'll pray. And then we'll be done. 
Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the opportunity we have to grow in the truth. We thank you that you've given it to us clearly. We just ask that we would have the spirit and the heart to take it and, and process it and continue to grow in it. We thank you for the spirit of God. We thank you for other believers. We thank you for those that come across our paths to give us guidance and direction in your truth. Father, do ask that we may walk in your wisdom. And again, we pray for our nation today. We pray for our leadership, that we may have tranquil lives. We ask that we may see revival in our time, that people would turn to the truth, that they have had enough of the endless foolishness that we see going on and would turn to the solid truth that was revealed in creation and revealed in your word, that we'd have a time of revival. In Jesus' name we pray. We do thank you for this opportunity. Amen. Amen. Appreciate you being here. Bye, <laughs>